Hello and welcome to the Oklahoma Drill. I am Sam Davis, not Ryan Maxey, not Alex Purdy because he hates doing the intro. He is here, though, as well as Nathan Hill. Um, it's just the three of us today. We have some things that we've been wanting to talk about. Um, the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary has been really the only thing you know, that's kind of captured the zeitgeist that everybody's talking about on Twitter at the same time as of late. Um, so we have a few thoughts about that. We'll get deeper into that. As it continues over the next month, we're also going to talk about some NFL draft that's been going on this weekend. Um, so, yeah, that's all we're going to do today, Ryan. and or not Ryan. Alex and Nathan, how are you guys feeling about this stuff? I feel I feel good. I mean, I will say, like, the NFL draft is, is usually something that I enjoy. Um, I might not necessarily sit and watch a lot of it, but, like, I follow it for sure. And I, I like looking at mock drafts and stuff. But this year... It obviously was just at a different level of interest because it's the sporting event that has happened, um, and so I've I've been glued to it pretty much since it started, um, and basically until we started this pod. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely been something that I have been following very closely. Yeah, same for me. I I, I always like the draft. I. I check out mock drafts kind of year round, and it's kind of funny to fun to watch them morph, you know, from the beginning of the football season to the end. Um, but it's something that I always enjoy following. So I usually watch a pretty good chunk of it, but this year I've watched almost all of it except for an hour or two um, in total. Um, and like like's been mentioned, you know, with everything that's going on, there's been nothing else to talk about, nothing else to kind of uh, watch as a community, which is a lot of what sports is. So you talk, you mentioning capturing the zeitgeist of Jordan documentary and really the draft just this past week um, have really been the two things that have done that in the last five or six weeks, um, where people were just watching it in mass and commenting on it. Yeah, I'm kind of the same as Nathan, whereas, like, I always follow the draft pretty closely. Um, I'm, I've, one of my favorite things is seeing how it's evolved throughout the year, you know, looking at mock drafts and stuff. It's funny, you know, earlier in the year, before the college football season started, you would think, like, Tyler Biotich from Wisconsin and Creed Humphrey from our favorite from Oklahoma, they're, like, a couple guys we had talked about, like, we love them. They're both like first round centers. We're probably going to lose Creed at the end of the year. And now Biotic goes at the end of the very end of the fourth round and Creed's not even in the draft. So like these things change completely drastically. I mean, from the end of the season to the combine, from the combine to now, it's crazy. And then with, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic going on, it's just been very interesting to see um, how scouting has evolved, like what it's been like in this time. I feel like and this is completely anecdotal, I feel like there's been an inordinate amount of like guys getting drafted by their hometown teams or like their close mm-hmm. teams. Um, I think that's um, partially due to lazy scouting where they watch those guys throughout the year and partially due to like they couldn't scout them much further throughout this year. So like, yeah, this is a guy that we were able to watch a lot throughout the years. So, like the, I know the Bears took Cole Komet, a tight end from Notre Dame that grew up in Illinois um, like C.D. Lamb going to the Dallas Cowboys, C.J. Henderson from uh, Florida going to the Jaguars. Like, there's just a ton of guys that they're the team that drafted them is the one that's closest to either their high school that they went to or where they grew up or the the college they played at. It's been kind of interesting for me. 
Yeah, well, let's let's start with I mean, kind of the OU angle, um, you know, with CD Lamb. Like you said, he wound up with the Cowboys, and you know, I think that all most of us thought he would get drafted before. I think most people thought he would be drafted before the Cowboys. Um, and I, I've seen that the Cowboys were planning on drafting a defensive back or something at that position, but when he fell, it was like, well, we just can't not draft him. Um, so, I mean, that was that was interesting. How do we feel about, like, CD in comparison to, like, Henry Ruggs and uh, Jerry Judy? I, uh, I personally think CD was the best in the draft. Um, you can make an argument for Jerry Judy. He has, like a very broad skill set. He does a lot of different things well. And so like when you're drafting receiver that early on that you want to make an impact immediately, you, you value those different things. I remember seeing mock drafts like a couple weeks ago that had CD mock to the Cowboys and like the outcomes of it, the, the way they got there, it was kind of absurd. Like the people they had getting drafted ahead of CD and now like looking at what actually evolved the, what happened somewhat made sense um it it definitely doesn't make sense to me for henry ruggs to go ahead of him because i don't think he's as good of a player as cd or jerry judy for that matter um but yeah it was i had seen a few and i was like that's stupid there's one there's no chance that cd falls to 17 two i think the cowboys have a lot more needs than wide receiver that's one of the places they're actually set at um but at, at the end of the day taking ta- the best talent available is a good strategy and then figure it out later. So, I mean, once CD was there, Jerry Jones did not fumble the bag and just took the best player available and got an absolute steal in my opinion. Yeah. So the rugs thing to me is a, it's a little bit, I think of uh, Tyreek Hill reaction. Um, and then on top of that, you have an, you have a, an organization that has, for years been the we like the straight line speed guy um that was al davis's calling card for you know most of his career and obviously he's passed but um there's you know just the ghost of uh, <laughs> of al davis is still drafting apparently because i mean going to the raiders that that fits that to a t but i think i think the biggest part of it is just seeing the impact tyree kills made seeing maybe how well uh, Marquise Brown did, even at uh, not full health last year. Just pure speed, guys. I think that's what the uh, line of thought was for Henry Ruggs. Um, and then with Judy, it's... So the thing with Judy has, has been he's, you know, he's the best route runner. He works a lot out of the slot. So Denver had guys maybe on the outside that they felt a little bit more about, better about than maybe the guys on their inside. So maybe that's why they for Judy. I don't know. I like, I think CD's the most well-rounded of the three of them, but um, as far as, you know, should he have gone at 12 or 17, it's kind of apples to apples. Or it's not a big, it's not a big difference to me. It would have been a much bigger difference if he had dropped to down the, you know, the mid twenties. But um, as far as the Cowboys taking him, I mean, I won't pretend to, you know, know a ton about their death chart, but I believe I heard he's going to be maybe their tertiary, you know, their their third guy basically um, in their rotation behind Cooper and um, someone whose name I'm forgetting. Michael Gallup. I mean, thank you, Gallup. Um, <laughs> what I mean, what a luxury that is to have C.D. Lamb as your third receiver. So, um, and I, 
I think a little bit might be it's kind of a buffer for Amari Cooper whenever his contract has to be renegotiated. So maybe that makes it easier to let go of Cooper in the future. I'm sure there's a few angles they could you know take at that, but most likely the scenario was they just couldn't pass. It was best player available, as Alex said. You just couldn't you couldn't uh, couldn't pass him up at that at that spot. Yeah, no, I think that that's exactly what's going to happen is that CD is going to go there and be pretty successful. And then they're going to wind up letting Amari Cooper go as a result. And I mean, it makes sense. Like, you know, you don't want to have a huge percentage of your cap dedicated to your wide receivers. Um, so I think that it, it makes sense in that regard. Um, and as far as who's the best, like I, I, that's the, my first thought when rugs got picked 12th was that Tyreek Hill got him picked there. Like, if it wasn't for Tyreek Hill, there's no way they would have taken Ruggs. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's the same It's the same thing as, you know, oh, quarterbacks don't need to be 6'4 anymore because of Kyler and Baker and blah, 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 blah. Right. So it's, yeah, so let's you know, draft the next 5'11 quarterback. You yeah, know? it's a so, trend at this point. Right. Um, and I like Jerry Judy. Like, I think he's probably going to be pretty successful. I don't think that the Raiders are the place that, like, is probably ideal for him because of their quarterback situation. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I don't I don't have any big arguments to have that CD is just so much better than all these guys. Um, so I, I kind of want to talk about teams that have had maybe the best draft, to, according to you guys, so far. Obviously, it's not over. We're, kinda, we're in the fifth round right now, but, like, so far, early in the draft through the first two days, who did who did you guys like the most? Well, I am a Baltimore Ravens fan, and this has been long before they started drafting OU guys. You know, in recent years, um, so I've liked them for a long time, and I'm their draft has been good. Um, a lot, it's getting panned by like Mel Kiper of ESPN. A lot of people is like it's a great draft, and they have gotten really good players at everywhere where they've drafted um some of them like I said they weren't positions of need or they're not the most valuable positions but i mean they got jk dobbins at the end of the second round and while running back isn't as valuable in in today's nfl like that's just a great value at the end of the second round like he's an incredibly talented player you could make an argument that he's the best running back in the draft and i think they got him he would have been the fourth running back off the board, maybe. I can't remember how many um, were ahead of him, but some some people had him as the first or second best. Um, they got Patrick Queen at just stayed pat at their spot at 28. A lot of people thought Patrick Queen of LSU would be gone by then. Um, they thought he was the best inside linebacker on the board, and the Ravens stayed pat and waited. Kenneth Murray um, got drafted ahead of him, like the Chargers traded up for him which was you know, kind of a mistake in my opinion. Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech also went ahead of Patrick Queen, so the Ravens were able to stay pat, get him. Um, they've traded back a couple times. They've gotten some more picks. They've gotten some guys at positions of need, guys that um, are really highly thought of by a lot of experts. So, I mean, they've, they've had one of the most solid drafts, I would say. They haven't they don't have other than Patrick Queen. Maybe they don't have like the, the like wow you guy. Like that's an absolute monster of a move. But really, just every pick they've made has been solid to you know great. Okay, Nathan, who, whose draft have you liked so far? 
Well, I mean, I actually, I liked the Ravens a lot so far also, but since Sam just talked about the Ravens, it's kind of hard because I haven't really thought about them holistically, but, you know, there's been a few picks that I think, um, like, I think the Bucks, I liked their pick of uh, Tristan Wirfs, and, you know, they just added a really good receiver from Minnesota, just some things that they've done. Um, I think Kyler being able to get Josh Jones kind of on uh, at the end of day two uh, for the Cardinals to go with Isaiah Simmons, I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah. There, no, there's Simmons, few... Simmons was ahead. the pick that, like, that you had to make at eight. Like, just the yeah. fact that he was there. Like, he should not have been there. And, right. like, that's the guy you can't not pick at that point, right? At, yeah, even if they need of, offensive line. And I think some of that is teams are afraid almost of, oh, he doesn't, you know, he's not an expert at any one thing. So because he did everything in college, like, that's a knock. Like, <laughs> he doesn't, just because he did everything in college, first off, doesn't mean he'll do everything in the NFL. And he can, that means he can have more time to specialize and get I mean, he's a 6'3", 238-pound guy that runs a 4'3", 9. Like, you can make that work. So I don't really understand the fear. Yeah, I had, a friend, I had a friend that said, like, defensive coordinators don't love Isaiah Simmons, blah, blah. blah. I was like, well, yeah, defensive coordinators are stupid. Like, they don't yeah. love him because they don't know how they're going to use him. Like, figure it out. As the uh, podcast ain't play nobody pointed out, there's going to be a lot more guys like that coming into the league right. very soon. And, like, people like Derwin James, who, like, gets comp to Isaiah Simmons a lot, people thought the same thing about him. And he dropped to number 17, which was ridiculous for him. And immediately he was one of the most impactful safeties in the game. It's right. so, like, take the best guy and figure it out. If you're good at your job and you're a smart person, figure it out. And, like, it made yeah, no basically. sense. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, basically, what you're telling me is if you look at Isaiah Simmons and said, I don't know how to use him, then why are you an NFL defensive coordinator? Yeah. Like, and, like, that, that's what sense. I was going to say. The the Panthers, they've, you know, Matt Rule in his first year at the Panthers, they've had a pretty good draft so far. Um, they've gotten a lot of value late, and they've made some good picks. They've gone all defense so far and both got their right. defense. But they went with Derek Brown with their very first pick, which is a he's a high-floor, low-ceiling kind of guy. No one – he was a beast in the run game, but no one really projects him as a pass rusher. And it's like, he'll be a solid NFL player. But like when you're taking that at seventh overall, like that's just not good value where you could have a guy like Isaiah Simmons that does literally everything and could be the cornerstone of your defense for years and years. Like it, it just makes no sense why you wouldn't want a guy like that. Yeah. So, I mean, there, 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 you know, specific picks along the way that I've really liked. Like, I, I thought Javon Kinlaw going to the Niners, it's just, I mean, the, what they're doing on the defensive line is just absurd. And uh, so being able to plug him after they lost one of their really good players um, over the offseason, you know, they're just going to, they're not, there's probably not going to be much of a drop off there because uh, I really like him. So, um, I mean, there's just, I just, there's picks along the way that I just kind of really liked. Like, we were just talking about one last night, you know, um, offline where we were talking about uh, Cam Akers going to the to the Rams, and I kind of thought they were going to take Dobbins, but they took Akers, and as soon as they did that, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense because he's probably better as a pass catcher, and he does a few other things really well, and he just didn't have a very good situation in college. Um, but in that offense, he's going to do really well. So there's just... 
that's just another example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that Akers was a guy that like you could have convinced me that he was the best running back in this draft, and I could have I could have gotten behind that. Just yeah, the situation in college was so bad. He's such a talented player. Right. Um, I thought that that pick was fantastic. Um, I, I'll, I'll say a team that's interested me so far, and I kind of really liked what they've done is the Chiefs. Um, this is a team that didn't really right, have yeah. a lot of they didn't have a lot of needs. Um, so they kind of had the luxury of taking whoever they liked at the end of the first round. Um, they drafted Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who, I mean, I think is probably That's a perfect fit for, yeah, he's going to yeah. be a perfect fit in that offense. I really like Willie Gay. Like I know the off field <laughs> stuff and like he hasn't played a ton of football. didn't have a ton of film, but like that dude's a freakish athlete. Here's my thing with Willie Gay. Is it like everyone has the off field concerns with him? But, like, yeah. the things he did, it, it's not – there's so many guys, like, I don't want to compare crimes, but, like, this guy didn't even commit <laughs> any crimes. He, right. he yeah. cheated he on a chemistry class. test. Yeah, he, yeah. like, had a tutor take a test for him, and then he yeah. got in a fight with a quarterback before their bowl game, and he won the fight. Like, that's all he did. Right. And, like, well, the, yeah, the off-field concerns are nothing for me, and the dude is obviously incredibly talented. He also I poisoned asked, Jacob Phillips' yeah. ear, but we won't get into that. He did what? He was the one. He was the guy that was uh, during Jacob Phillips's recruitment was telling them they should go to LSU together. Mm. Oh. Well, now I do hate him. Now I do hate okay. Willie Gay. He yes, was bag man all along. Willie Gay. Yeah, um, and then he ended up going to Mississippi State while while Phillips still went to LSU. So. Yeah, yeah. And I was like watching Willie Gay last year. You know, he with his suspension. You know, like I said, it was it was weird stuff. The 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 fight with the quarterback that happened during the bowl games. So really, the thing. He was suspended off and on for the the test cheating thing. And it was weird, yeah. like Mississippi State didn't have to disclose what all players were in trouble and also didn't just flat out give them a four-game suspension or whatever. Like, Moorhead got to pick when they were suspended. And so he would, like, randomly choose, you know, games that they very clearly were going to lose. Like Alabama, he would, yeah, these guys are suspended for this game. Or games where they very clearly were going to win, like they would – suspend them um so like willie gay was suspended for the kansas state game because they thought that was just an easy win and kansas state really gave it to him without a lot of their defense but like it was kind of like how neville gallimore when you would see him like ou's d line or ou's defense as a whole like when he wasn't on the field it was very obvious just like the impact that wasn't there how the the offense was just slamming the ball down ou's throats the exact same thing happened to mississippi state all year, whenever like any game Willie Gay was not what that he was suspended for, you could absolutely tell that their defense was just not the same. And if one guy is making that kind of a difference, like he is obviously a very talented player and worth taking very highly in the draft. Yeah, can we can we talk about let's let's talk about the rest of the OU guys that have been taken. We talked about CD Lamb, um, Kenneth Murray went I think what twenty third. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, something like that. To the Chargers, um, how do we feel? They, they like traded that? up to take him right in front of the in front of the uh, Saints because the they Saints, think they're yeah. afraid yeah. that the Saints are going to take him. Yeah, right. yeah. How do we um, feel about him in in Los Angeles? I like it. I think it's a good fit for the defense. Um, my worry all along, and like the the Kenneth Murray pick, it's kind of unfair. It's getting like the worst grades 
from like all the experts when they they give out their grades like some people are giving the chargers an f for picking kenneth murray right there and it's really not a knock on kenneth murray he's incredible at what he does but you know from what we've seen of him he is very limited um and the fact that the chargers you know traded up to get him ahead of guys like patrick queen or something um that's why the the pick is getting knocked i think it's a good fit it would have been a better fit for them if they could have gotten him in the second round or something. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you have a player, you know what he's good at. You think you can get more out of him. I mean, it, you can't knock somebody for taking someone that is good at something. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think it's a good, I think as far as like style of defense goes and everything, I think it's a pretty good fit. Um, I'd, it kind of bums me that it's the Chargers just because they're never on TV here. So I'm like never going to get to watch them. Um, but I mean, it's, it's still, I mean, it's, it's huge. It was the, I think I saw it was the first time, the first like uh, linebacker from Oklahoma to be drafted in the first round since Jackie ship, like 35 years ago. So, I mean, just from that standpoint alone, it was neat to see. Well, and I was thinking about, he's the first, defensive player we've had drafted in the first round since Gerald McCoy, right? I think so, yeah. So 10 years. Like, yeah. 11 but, years, right? Because I think yeah. that was the 9 draft. Like, yeah, you're right. But just crazy. think about what they're, what's on their defense. Like, they have Bosa. They have Melvin yeah. Ingram. They have yeah. uh, Chris Harris now. They have Derwin James. Like, uh-huh. They could have had Isaiah Simmons instead of Justin Herbert. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they have Malik Jefferson. No, I'm just kidding, but I, I, I think he is on the roster. I, I don't think he starts, but Malik no. Jefferson is there somewhere. Um, but he, I don't. I think they play, you know, a lot of four three. So I'll be curious if they play him, you know, at the, in the middle. If they want to move him at will, or, or, or I'm not sure how they'll do it. But um, they have a, they have the makings of a pretty good defense, um, and I know they've had one in the last few years. So. Um, I think at yeah. least that side of the ball is going to going to be fun to watch. I do not like their quarterback pick, but um, good lord, no. Yeah. That that is what it is. Yeah, just, just makes no every... sense. Like you're you're clearly not opposed to trading up to get the guy that you want. Go trade up to three and go get Tua if you really want a quarterback. Like Tyrod Taylor can hold it down. Go trade up, or if not, don't reach for a quarterback at six. Just don't take Herbert. They're like, arguably, the most talented guy in the draft is still there, can make you the meanest defense in the league. Just don't reach for a yeah. quarterback. Like, if they had taken Simmons early and then taken Jordan Love, where they took Murray, that would look a lot better to me than yeah. what they wanted. Uh, I still I don't uh, like Jordan Love that much either, but... I don't know. I think but even still, you're taking, a project, <laughs> you're taking a project yeah, right, at the end right. of the first I get round yeah. and a yeah. sure yeah. thing... Yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I kind of like Jordan Love, guys. Like, I mean, I do too. I think, the, I think the pick is weird as shit. Like, the Packers taking him makes no yeah. sense to me. Um, I, I know the that they did it. Hurting it for me more than anything. Yeah. Is just, I know they've done that situation. before. I know they did it with Rodgers in the first place. But, like, shit, Rodgers is still an elite quarterback with, you know, he's 36 years old. Like, yeah. quarterbacks are playing into their 40s now. Like, well, get my, that dude some help. That's the biggest thing to me. It's like they're they're unwilling to invest in Rodgers now, and they're saying, oh, we need to build for the future. 
you got like five years left of like peak Rogers. What are you doing? Why are you not surrounding right. him with guys? Like, yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder it. if they they know more into Aaron Rodgers' psyche. Like, if Aaron Rodgers just up and retired after next year, would any of us be surprised? I mean, the guys he's has a very unique mind of anyone in the NFL. Like, I think he yeah. cares more about more. Uh, more things than just football. And it's like, I would not be surprised if Aaron Rodgers is up and retired in the next yeah, year or two. I think that's possible. But I just, they're, they've made weird draft picks because their first two picks are both guys that are going to be backups next year. Yeah. And Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon. Yeah. You, and A.J. Dillon was, yeah. why did they draft him so highly? And <laughs> right. they also, I think their next draft pick was another tight end, which they just drafted. Yeah, they're all three of their picks they took quarterback running back and tight end which is they took a tight mm-hmm. end in the third round last year they have one just star running back a quality backup that apparently competed with uh, Aaron Jones for the starting job for multiple years like what what are the Packers doing yeah yeah and, and this is like the best wide receiver draft in you know a decade or more and they're not taking mm-hmm. any of them when they're when they're star wide receivers so it's just it's confounding I don't really understand their strategy of what they're trying they're, to achieve. They're just gonna keep, they're gonna keep riding that Marquez Valdez Scantling train until it, it just falls off the rails. They're <laughs> gonna keep trying to make it happen. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about Jalen Hurts because this also, along with the Jordan Love thing, was one of the weirder picks. Um, yeah. Going to the Eagles at I think what was it fifty four or three fifty three? Yeah. Like. What what's going on? Like, why are the Eagles like? I didn't like their first round pick either. I don't like Rager in that spot. Um, yeah, thought that Which, was a reach. And then they they took Hurts in the second. So starting starting just real touch quickly on Rager, um, it is. I think it's all right for them. They always you know they draft that big body receiver kind of guy. They have uh, last year they drafted JJ Ortega Whiteside. Um, Alshon Jeffrey's still there. Like they very much value that guy. I think maybe they're hoping for Jalen Rager to be the Deshaun Jackson kind yeah. of guy. Just take the top off, not just a huge slow body. Um, he also just traded like, kind for of Godwin. Like that fit. Yeah. He also um, just traded for Marquise Godwin uh, from the Niners. Oh, uh, from the Niners. Yeah. So they have some more speed. So yeah, even, even more speed. So they're, I kind of like where they're going in that direction. Um, Rager, he had kind of fallen off a bit this year. A lot of that was due to, QB play that he had, um, and then his his combine, his 40 time was unspectacular, but that was most likely, like, he obviously didn't get a lot slower. I don't know. I think Rager's fine. The Jalen Hurts pick, first of all, it pissed me off because two months ago I had made a bet on an on a internet bookie that Jalen Hurts would not be drafted in the first two rounds. Um, this was before the combine, <laughs> after the combine. I was like, uh, somebody will probably take him. It's probably not going to be. Like, that one's probably not going to win. Someone's going to reach for Jalen Hurts. And then as the draft went on, I was like, oh, the teams that might take him, like the Chargers aren't going to take him now. The Steelers were a rumor. They've already made their pick. I was like, oh, it might look good. I might win win 15 bucks here. And then the Eagles, out of nowhere, draft Jalen Hurts. It's like, what are they doing? And, I mean, you presumably would think that they're going to use him. Obviously, Taysom Hill is the comparison that he gets um, everything that Taysom Hill does that he like gets raved about. Jalen Hurts does better. 
So, I mean, that, that is a plus for him. He can actually throw the ball a little bit as opposed to Taysom Hill, who just can't. And people <laughs> are they like have this misconception about him that he could maybe be. He can't like Jalen Hurts. You can make an argument that he could be a starting quarterback in the right system. Taysom Hill absolutely cannot. Um, so, I mean, if they get Jalen on the field right away and, you know, use him in some different running packages, try and take some hits off Carson Wentz, but still use that QB mobility that they like out of him that Carson Wentz is actually sneaky good at. Um, if they can do that, use some different packages. I can see it from a backup QB standpoint, but if, if their plan is just, you know, have him as a Nick Foles, once Carson Wentz inevitably gets hurt, like Jalen is here to be the backup QB, then that just, it makes no sense. Yeah, this is... This has been the thing for me that, like, I just don't see how Jalen Hurts is a successful NFL quarterback. Like, anytime, you know, during the season, multiple times a game, you know, like, he's just missing open receivers by, like, literally not seeing them. Like, I can get, like, you can improve mechanics to improve accuracy if, like, you're missing, like, overthrowing them or something. But, like, I have a hard time believing that, when the game gets more complex and faster that Jalen hurts is going to start seeing those open receivers. And like, that's always been his thing. Like against crap teams, like, yeah, there's five open guys every play. So he's fine. But against LSU in the, in the peach bowl, like you have to hit open CD lamb. Like it has to happen, you know, like even if that's not necessarily where the play was like the first option set up to go. Like you have to hit the open receivers in those big games. And that's not something that I feel like he ever showed that he could actually do. Um, so I just, I don't see it. I, I mean, good for him. It looks good for OU to have a quarterback taken in the second round. Um, so I'm glad that we can use that. Yeah. Recruiting. Just pitch. more like recruiting. Yeah. Cool. Just more recruiting ammo. Um, yeah. But uh, so I, I, maybe I, they just play him two times a year against the Giants, you know, play a couple <laughs> crap defenses, let Carson Wentz rest a little bit, and that's the plan. Perfect. That's a good plan. Great plan, yeah. Eagles. Um, sweet. Okay, let's – okay, last last OU guy, uh, Neville Gallimore, going in the third round to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I don't yep. – I feel like the Cowboys <laughs> – I don't know. I feel like – I've kind of cooled off on Neville as a an NFL guy, um, like, and maybe the Cowboys are a good situation because they just brought in a couple veteran D tackles that he can play behind and learn from. But like, yeah. how do we, how do we feel like he's going to do in the pros? Oh, I think he could be like a rotation player. Um, I think he can come in, pass rush situations. You know, be a nice second player. I don't know if I see him. He's going to have to get much more consistent for him to be someone I think can be a starting caliber, you know, 10-year guy. I could see him, you know, hanging around for four or five years and, yeah, you know, be, making an impact, you know, as, you know, kind of the depth part of the 52 um, for sure, though. I, I mean, he's so athletic, but at, at some point you have to – you can't stop saying, you know, he has all this potential. It has to kind of start manifesting itself. And you saw that in flashes this year, but even this year, he was still, it was still flashes. And then you go away for three games. So, right. Well, okay. I, can I say one thing in kind of response to that? Like, sure. I, 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 
am inclined to give him a pass for his past production because, first of all, against when he was playing for Mike Stoops, I don't think – I mean, nobody was good. Zero yeah. people on that defense was ever good. You know, so like I'm not really after, holding that against him. I'm holding it more right. like the last year against him. Well, yeah. Not even against him. I'm just bringing that up. It's last year. Yeah, this year. And first of all, like his first two years, he was playing defensive end, which he shouldn't have been playing. Um, this past year, past couple of years, they finally got him in the right position. This year, finally got him into a scheme that was competent at all. And yeah. at times, he was dominant. Texas absolutely looked yeah, like a first-round sure. draft pick. Um, and I think that the idea, you know, him getting disappearing for three games or so, like, if you go back and watch, like, the entire game plan to block OU's defensive line was centered around neutralizing Neville Gallimore. And Sam said it earlier that, you know, like Neville Gallimore is one of those guys that when he wasn't on the field, you noticed that Neville Gallimore wasn't on the field. And I think that that's the main reason why. And obviously your production, if you're getting blocked by three guys, you're not, you're not going to have success. Well, okay. So I would agree with that. Though I do think Marquis Overton had a good year as a, as his backup, but, there was a drop off. That's that's certainly true. Um, I, again, I'm not trying to say he's like a bad player. I just don't think he's a first rounder, which is where he was getting mocked, you know, a couple months ago. Um, yeah, some that's, regularity. That's what I loved about the Cowboys pick is that yeah, I I loved Neville Gallimore, I loved Kenneth Murray, and didn't think really think either of them were first round players. Where both of them had been getting mocked from time to time. Um, and so, yeah, at that point where the Cowboys got him, I think it's a great value. I think it's a great risk to take. I think it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting experiment to see how these OU defensive guys do in the league, because um, we all we love Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore, and we've all seen their limitations over the past few years, and saw kind of a jump that they took this year, especially Neville, in my opinion. You know, going from the just the block eating nose tackle that Mike Stoops so valued to the upfield pass rushing nose tackle that um, Alex Grinch used. And so like the, the flaws that both of them had coming in, are those something that, you know, more than one year removed from Mike Stoops, will they get coached out of them, learn how to be actual good football players and like be very valuable in the league. That's, you know, maybe a biased opinion. That's the way I lean for both of those guys as they go into the league. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, and I think that you can make a case that for Gallimore, he was out of scheme to an extent for both. Even in Grinch, he's still not the prototype of what Grinch wants. I think we've seen from recruiting, Grinch still wants guys to be a little longer. Um I think he would have, at most, his best home would have been as a one-tech and a 4-3 type of defense. Um, I think that's what makes the most sense for him. So, I, again, it's it's hard to say, but, you know, I think he can be a solid player. I think he can be a good role player. I think he has the potential to be a truly good player, but I, yeah. you just want to see him become, continue to be more consistent. And maybe, you know, being under the tutelage of Gerald, um, playing with some, you know, older players, as Alex mentioned earlier at Dallas, maybe he has some time to kind of foster that and not just get thrown into the fire and wash out quickly. Yeah, I think 
you know, I think Dallas could be a really good situation for him in that regard. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I we'll see. Gallimore to me, like always, was a guy that maybe we overrated even just because we knew how athletic he was. Um, and like the fact that he can run a four seven forty is is really enticing, but that really doesn't equal anything on the football field. Um, so I don't know. We'd I probably have a different opinion of him if he hadn't had to play for four years under an idiot. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the athleticism thing is kind of the same as Isaiah Simmons for me. Like he was Neville was like number two on the athletics athletic freaks list in college football last year. Like if you have a yeah. guy like that that has also he's shown flashes throughout his career and you know that for a lot of that he had just incompetence that he was being coached by i I think especially in the third round where the cowboys got him you take the risk there you try to figure it out and if it doesn't work like i don't think anyone can blame you for that yeah it's it's just a third round pick at that point so yeah no i think that that's probably fair um okay so have we talked about the uh I don't think we talked about the uh, Tony Jefferson thing. This kind of reminded me of that. Um, did, did you guys know what I'm talking about? I'm assuming. Oh yeah, it was beautiful. The, it was beautiful. The Twitter. Sam, did you see Is this? this? Are you referring to the one with the Trey Young, CD Lamb thing? Tony Jefferson's Not, been doing a, a lot of Twitter things recently, and I can't remember which one you're he, referring to. He's referring I'm talking to about him, Tony. Lit. Oh, the thing about yeah, the thing about talking about Mike Stoops. Yeah, he's going yeah, for Mike, he lit Stoops. Mike Stoops yeah. on fire. Yeah, yeah. Like I thought that that was beautiful. Um, yeah, whenever the Tavon Austin highlights were going around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Like I just, I kind of want to kind of go back through the stupidity of Mike Stoops. Like I, I, I know that we've talked about this a lot, but like. In his first year back at Oklahoma, we should have known that it was never going to work because he tried to play a defense with no so, linebackers. Yeah, so the we we got blinded because in 2013 that was a legitimately decent group. They were like you know top 25 SP plus, and people were, I, I remember people saying you know oh he's kind of getting back into his old groove kind of thing, and then it just started you know 14 got worse. 15, they were average to okay, and then it just, you know, tailspin after that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that 2012, yeah, there's definitely, you know, glaring uh, question marks and what, what should have been warning signs, but I think right. we had some short-term blindness at, in t- at spots. Well, and even, you know, with, with Tony Jefferson, like, he said that Mike Stoops made that change to the defense the day before the game. Yeah. Like he said, I guess, I guess they found out that Tavon Austin might be lining up at running back. So his plan was to make Julian Wilson into the middle linebacker the day before the game. Like, yeah, that's just like incomprehensibly stupid to me. Yeah, I I, I was at that game. I vividly remember it. It was a very strange, uh, very strange experience. And they they sold alcohol in their stadium. So. There's a lot of drunk, yeah. <laughs> drunk West, West Virginia fans around, so. Um, yeah. But it got yeah, I, it's that's one of the weirdest games I've been to, um, just for all the shit that happened in it. Yeah, and the fact that Landry Jones like actually was the hero. For <laughs> right. Once. Like, he came he up changed huge. the play and actually yeah exactly. Yeah, it came up huge at the end of the game for once. Like that was awesome. But 
I mean, it was a great game to be at and really cool, but, like, man, that night we should have known, like, oh, this, is, this isn't this is going to work because that was just so freaking stupid. And I remember, like, there were fans, like, on message boards, there always are after games like that where they were like, oh, this isn't going to work. Mike Stoops needs to be fired. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking, you're insane. We, we, we won the game, right? Um, but looking back, like, yeah, I mean, it was – pretty justified to say all those things and yeah but as you said people say that after every single loss you know people say lincoln riley should get fired after losses Um, Uh, yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah and just going through like you said that there were kind of hopeful years where like 2013 we looked better you know and like but the thing about that you know that defense was built around Corey Nelson and Corey Nelson is the guy that Mike Stoops just banished to the bench for the entirety of 2012. (laughs) Like what the, what the hell are you doing? You know, like how does that happen? How does one year, how does one year you're not even playing linebackers and you're especially not playing your best linebacker. And then the next year you're thinking, Oh, I better build my defense around this guy. Right. Like that's crazy. Like, Who's the just, kid that went to A and M that, like, decommitted basically because OU wasn't playing linebackers? And it was it uh, Master Giovanni? Jordan yeah, Master Jordan Lee? Master Giovanni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, he basically decommitted because OU wasn't playing linebackers anymore, which was a fair point. So absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, we could have had a linebacker named Jordan Mastro Giovanni. Like, yeah, and he never we did missed out on that. Thing, but oh no, yeah. no, but. We missed out on that name because Mike Smith yeah. stopped playing linebackers for a year. Yeah, we didn't get um, to watch Tom Wart be his crazy self anymore. Um, no. Yeah. It's, there are some it's downsides. Cra- yeah, because Tom Wart was legitimately pretty good in 2011 under Brent Venables. Like, he was okay. Yeah, you know, he, I, I mean, mean, we had much amazing. worse linebacker play. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was, like, maligned at the time just because of the standards well, he was that so were. Yeah, he was so hyped up. Like Brent Venables was saying, he's like the best linebacker I've ever coached when he got right. there. Yeah. So like that and he, was. Well, and he, if you ever watched his highlights, they were amazing. He was just killing yeah. people, and he also played for a high school team that was called the Unicorns. So that he was did. even better. The Bonfils <laughs> Unicorns. Yeah. So. No, I just I I'm I'm never gonna pass up on an opportunity to shit on Mike Stoops because I think he was bad at his job. And yep, it cost deserved. us at least one national championship. Yeah, I, I like, think that. At I mean, at least one national championship. That will never not hurt because I am very confident. Just like an average defense, they win the title that year. Um, they, heck, I think they probably. You know, if you run the simulator with that same team, they probably win it more times than any other probably. team in that pool does. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, and, I mean, it's it's kind of showing through in, in the draft. Like, 10 of 11 guys on that offense have now been drafted in the top four rounds. Like, yeah. that offense was insane. Like, mm-hmm. that then, by the end of the year, that offense was one of the best offenses of all time. And the defense just couldn't hold a team with an average offense under 45 points. Yeah, with Jake Fromm, who's apparently going to be uh, <laughs> the backup in Buffalo now. So yeah. that's that's a weird match, but um, <laughs> like, yeah. fifth round strange. pick. Yeah, yeah, 
he, and he was like speaking of mocks that get like get changed over time. I mean, that was that's a guy that was mocked in the first this time last year. So it just shows to show how quickly things change. Yeah, I just I can't imagine wanting to play quarterback at Georgia. Like the idea that I mean, you're gonna hand it off forty times a game. Like, yeah. it just is so weird to me. Yeah, there's there's literally no no point a high level quarterback recruit should go there. I mean, they let Jake Fromm keep his job over Justin Fields and like barely use him. We saw what Justin Fields is doing at yeah. Ohio State now. They have the least imaginative offense, even again in games like where they should like they should just absolutely destroy the team that they're playing. Like mm-hmm. they don't take any chances. They don't try and put anything new and inventive into their offense. They have yeah. ruined Jake Fromm to where he's like like he should be like a second or third round talent. Like he is a very for what he does, he's very good at it, and the reason he's falling is because no one has seen him do anything other than throw quick slants and hand the ball off 40 times yeah. a game. And it's like there, there's literally no reason you would get, should go there. Yeah, CC Brock Vandegrift. Yeah, right. One hey, Brock I'm, Vandegrift. I'm glad Vandegrift decommitted. We're getting the better player out of the the exchange. So it's, yeah, it's I mean, all, if they get Caleb, well, it's it, it it's a net positive. But yeah, still got to get so. Caleb. And Brock Vandegrift will end up like as a commentator on CBS Sports one day. So congrats. Good for him. Good for him. He gets to stay home. He gets to go to his grandparents. Gets to go fishing with grandpa. Farm or go to the farm. Yeah. In Alabama. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. Um, okay. So, any any final thoughts on the NFL draft? Um, I don't. I don't think Parnell Motley has a chance of getting drafted. I know that's been talked about, but like, yeah, they, yeah I don't think there's been, any chance. No, I, I talked to you guys about his pro day, um, and that that very much slipped under the radar. I think, like, I've always been kind of a Parnell Motley defender. I think he does have pretty decent instincts, yeah. and if someone gave him a chance, like, he might be able to show those. But, like, his pro day was absolutely abysmal. Every drill he had would have been like the worst or very close to the worst of any defensive back at the combine his broad jump was like he would have been in like the 50th percentile of defensive tackles like his his broad jump was by far the worst like he his broad jump was nine feet long um which was almost a full foot shorter than any other defensive back at the combine like in his his 40 time was average but that's a pro day 40 times to probably tack on an extra like 0.1 seconds to that at least um all of his agility drills were not great his other his vertical jump was very bad like the guy you you can have all the instincts in the world but you have to have some base level of athleticism he just doesn't have it no yeah well and that's i mean we kind of go yeah well right I kind of want to talk about a little bit OU's recruiting for the 2020 class because or 2021 class because uh, you know crap. things things are on hold right now for the most part. So the ranking looks really bad. Like we're at 42 right now, um, yeah. but I mean obviously there there are only like four teams getting any kind of commitments right now. So um, I'm not concerned. But what I want to talk about with recruiting is I have never – I can't remember ever feeling so confident about the types of players that we're recruiting at every position on the team. 
Like, there's always been, like, I don't really know what we're doing at this position, but, like, (laughs) every spot, like, all 11 positions on defense are pretty accounted for, and you're like, I like the type of player that we're going after. Like, a defensive back, like, maybe we're not going to land the, like, the five-star guys. We have a good shot at a couple really high four-stars at corner, but even if we don't get those guys, the other guys that we're going after are not Parnell Motley-esque in terms of their physical ability. Like everybody, there's just a baseline athleticism that they're looking for from everybody that they recruit. And I think that that's a much better way to go about recruiting than like, well, this guy isn't athletic, but he's good at football. Like so often that does not translate to a higher level. Look at Buki. Look at Buki. Right. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, so many times from like, you know, most of the last decade, we would look at whole position groups and just say, just kind of shrug your shoulders until like October. How many times did we do that with like Tim's Kish where we didn't even know who he was targeting for most of the year. And then he would take some random three-star guy that, you know, was slow and wasn't very good or two star or or, yeah. Yeah. Or Lackawanna two star. Um, And then you saw that with, you know, defensive backs where maybe we took, um, guys early but they weren't you know very explosive and they were small or you know we were it just I, every time I see an offer go out now and I actually watch the huddle and I, I, I'm not going to pretend to be some you know advanced uh, talent evaluator but I can almost always now see what the plan is and what attracted you know the OU coaches to offering that kid and in like 2015 per se, a lot of times I would watch the huddle and say, well, I don't really, he doesn't really fit, you know, what our defense is. But at the same time, I, I never really knew what our defense was. Right. It was multiple in air quotes. So there never felt, really felt like there was a, a coherent, you know, put in action plan of what they are trying to achieve. And so it just kind of felt like they were throwing darts and just kind of, you know, assembling this kind of hodgepodge of a defense. Now I know exactly what they're looking for. Oh, they're looking for a weak side linebacker. I know what that looks like, you know, what their type is. They're looking for a field corner. I know what that looks like in this defense. So now I, you know, all these guys have similar characteristics and they all, you have to have a, it's like the, the pyramid where you have to have two of the three points. They have to either, they have to be fast. They have to, you know, be long and they have to play hard. Like, so if they have they have to have two of those three things. If they're not if they're not fast, they better be big and they better play really hard. And if they're not you know big, they better or long rather, they better be really fast. You know that kind of thing. So yeah. you're just seeing all the offers kind of follow those same guidelines. That seems to to me to be the biggest thing that like yeah they'll offer a guy that's undersized, but that guy always always is a plus speed guy. Like right. they're not. Yeah. They're not offering like, the bu- the Bukis of the world. Like, Buki would not get offered. And I know Buki was a five-star. Yeah. I don't think Alex Grinch would have even been remotely interested in a Buki-type player Probably in high not. school. Well, and if you look at, like, a guy like Dante Manning, who was 5'11", you know, so he's not, like, the 6'1 corner, but he had so super long arms, and he was really fast. So they're, they're still finding kind of ways to, you know, maybe he doesn't have the height that's 100% desired, but he has all these other things that make up for the height. Um yeah. And I think you're seeing that in a lot of ways. 
or a safety that's six one, and he might be kind of skinny, but he, you know, he's really fast, and he, you know, hits like a Mack truck. You know, that's just stuff like that. Um, yeah. Well, and I, I think linebacker makes a lot of sense too. Like, there's, you know, and and another thing, like the evaluations that these coaches are putting together through two classes is pretty incredible to me. Like mm-hmm. last year. I mean, we identified Dante Manning before anybody else, Ryan Watts. Like, these are guys that we didn't wind up getting, but we were the first to really go all in with them. And I think that that's continuing to this class. There are guys that we've offered that are not super highly regarded right now. But I think that are if there's a football season, we'll see how yeah. that goes. Um, but I think that th- those are the kind of guys that would likely make huge jumps as seniors and right. get bigger offers. Like, you know, they have offers out to a couple two-star guys that you're like, yeah, that guy's not a two-star. There's no way. Yeah. You know, so, like, I I just like having a competent coaching staff from top yeah. to bottom. Like, well, there's just I confidence think, at every position. Yeah, and I, one of the things I was looking forward to this offseason was this is the first time that we've been full strength as a staff from a recruiting perspective. Um, and maybe since... I've started following this and I started following, I mean, I was an OU fan my whole life. Right. But I, I didn't start following recruiting at an in-depth level till 2009. So maybe right. since 2009, um, that every single guy I'm confident that like they know what they're doing or that they're trying, you know, um, we, there's no rough in, there's no, um, late Jackie ship. There's no, you know, guys that are just kind of taking vacations. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know so what guy? It, go ahead. This is this is kind of random, but you know what guy like more than anyone else got me into OU's recruiting? Cam Newton. That really? guy's that guy's recruitment got me hooked because there was there was like a week period where most people thought Cam Newton was going to OU, like after <laughs> yeah. he visited, and they're like, yeah, yeah he's, just, he's just got to get through this Auburn visit, and then if he does that, we'll get him, and then obviously. Right. We know what happened after that. But, like, I was all freaking in on getting Cam Newton <laughs> going yeah. into 2010. Like, that was that was a real thing. And that really kind of got me hooked on, on recruiting. I remember Landry Jones playing well against Stanford was also, like, so, like he was, Cam was like, it looks like you got your quarterback kind of response yeah. to that. So, damn yeah. it, Landry Jones. But <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, anyways, like it's, it's cool. I think I, I'm really excited about where we are recruiting wise. I, I, I would be willing to bet a thousand dollars that OU is going to sign Caleb Williams. Yeah, um, for sure. Like, I mean, I think, so the whole thing right now is it's just being patient because all these guys, you know, they want to make sure sh- they want to feel like they've done their due diligence. So they want to take their last remaining visits, which means they can't. They're not going to decide until they have the chance to do that. So what should have been done maybe two weeks ago now might not be done till July, and it's just yeah. you know, Ohio State's been able to you know put together this incredible class partially because they have you know just more guys in state that they can take it you know get quick commitments from, but also partially because they're able to get commits. And once you get one commit, it kind of creates a snowball effect. Well. Oh, you can't really do that because they haven't been able to close on the guys that can create that snowball effect, and they won't probably be able to get to do that until you know 
July or you know midsummer. So um, it's just right. it feels like OU's not doing well. But outside of like three schools, no one's getting commits right now. Um, so you just have to. It's just a patience thing. And like I don't know how confident I would be if I'm an. I, I would be really excited if I was an Ohio State fan. Like there's no doubt about it. But yeah. like. How secure are you feeling with all of these commitments? Like, you're probably not feeling secure at all. Yeah. So, I mean, I would almost – I wouldn't prefer to be in the situation we're in because Ohio State's got a ton of highly regarded commitments, and it's easier to keep a commitment than to get one in the first place. So, um, I – but I'm comfortable with where OU is. I like the the position OU yeah. is coming at from, it's, and it's largely due to the fact that the coaching staff is good. Yeah, it's and if things stay on their current trajectory, like with Caleb Williams, um, who I mean I think it's a pretty hard lean right now. Um, assuming that comes to fruition, you know, just from the cachet that he has with the cl- recruiting class in general, and with other guys that are used to recruiting, like Mario Williams and. Christian Leary, a couple wide receivers out of Florida, and a few others, you know, you know that that initial domino dropping will bring with it, you know, multiple others. And then also you, the national impact that that has at the number one quarterback going to X destination that makes others want to go to that destination too because they know you can't achieve what you want to achieve as a team without that kind of player. Yeah. Unless you're Alabama you know, circa 2011. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah. And I'll, yeah, nobody can do that anymore. I feel like we're right. even past that point, like where George is trying to kind of do that and they're never, they're not able to get to where they're wanting to yeah. go because of how limited they are at so, quarterback. And I think you can do it, but it takes, you know, truly exceptional, like Georgia almost did it um, two years ago with Fromm as a freshman but it yeah. takes a truly exceptional defense and then also kind of a down year yeah. as, you know, as a sport, which is what yeah. that was, is a down year. Because you, you could have randomly, you could have Joe Burrow have an amazing season and you can't compete with that. Right. You know, exactly. like nobody saw that coming from LSU and all it took was a quarterback just randomly becoming the best player in the country and LSU won a national championship as a result. Like that's... Yep. That's what you're trying to go against if if you're trying to do this without the elite quarterback. And OU is never going to do it without the elite quarterback. Like there's, no. It's just they not just, realistic. They don't have the um, in-state talent to get around it. Because right. for for, to do it the other way, you're, uh, the rest of your roster has to be absurd. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so, I mean, that's that's football. Um, obviously, there's nothing happening other than the, and then the draft and – some minimal recruiting stuff. Um, I mean, there's been some, you know, some more talk like OU announced yesterday that they are planning on having on campus classes in the fall. Um, Like, which that's a thing that they've mentioned that like, yeah, there has to be students on campuses or we're not going to play football. Um, So I guess you could look at that as a positive if you're just looking for, reasons to be optimistic about football happening in the fall. Um, yeah. I think yeah. it's definitely I'm not still, a negative. For yeah, sure. Ahead, I'm still not getting my hopes up. It's definitely not negative. I'm still not getting my hopes up because I think Oklahoma, like it's easy to announce that right now because we're one of the least affected states. Like if, you know, 
New York, there's not, I mean, if we're worried about Rutgers not being able to field the team, then I guess that's a concern. But, I mean, there are more states like Washington, New York, um, yeah. California, like, that are much more affected by it that, like, you can't just say, oh, yeah, we'll play football in the middle of the country unless we're, like, going to have meaningless, like, inner squads scrimmages with Iowa or something. Like, there's there's not much we can do unless the entire country is in a spot where they can all play college right. football. Yeah. I'd watch the Absolutely. hell out of some Iowa scrimmage, but yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I, I've, I'm still, I've always kind of favored the idea of football being played in the spring. Um, not necessarily that that's what I want to happen. You know, I would obviously rather watch it in the correct time of year, but I just don't see how it's realistic that like, I mean, we're not playing football with fans in the fall. There's a 0% chance of that happening, in my opinion. Um, and I, I think that there's a chance of having some fan something if we push it all the way to the fall. Yeah. Or the, all the way to the spring, sorry. Yeah, I don't know if – and that's that's where, like, is if hopefully there's a middle ground because I don't think if you go all the way to the spring, I don't think you can play, you know, a football season from – January through May or through April, whatever the, the, it would shake out to be like your championship. So maybe you're cutting down on games. I would, I would like to see maybe if by November we could start the season normally, um, get in a full season and then finish it up, you know, end of February, early March. Maybe November you do like a, yeah, maybe November you do like you're out of conference, then you take your break, and then in January you reconvene for your conference games. Mm-hmm. Something like there, that. Because there's would... so many tricky things. Like you know, you say, oh, just get the first four weeks of the season, and everyone just play their conference game. Well, you know, the SEC they always have that joke of a non-conference game in the middle of the year. Like you got a lot of stuff with that to figure out. Some like Georgia, Georgia Tech, they like playing their non-conference game towards the end of the year. It's so like you yeah. got to there's a lot of stuff there to figure out. You also have the problem like, hey, you know, we were going to play UCLA and this or I mean, if OU's example, we were going to play Tennessee and have a decent, you know, out of conference win. Hopefully, you know, we don't have that anymore. How do you uh, it's a lot more likely that you have, you know, six or seven teams that could go undefeated in their conference play. And then we have mm-hmm. more teams that are eight, no, nine and no when the time yeah. comes. Um, yeah. Also, the fact that the college football playoff is not actually with the NCAA, and they can kind of do whatever they want. Uh, there are definitely a lot of moving parts that go into it. And just from a financial aspect, if you skip those out-of-conference games, a lot of those small schools truly rely on that money, that those checks, yeah. um, that million dollars that they get to go get their mm-hmm. brains kicked in by you know Alabama. If they don't get that money, then that's a huge blow to that athletic department. So if you if you say skip if you say skip those games, and you're kind of giving the middle finger to those small schools, um, mm-hmm. you need to you need to kind of you need to be able to do it in a way that you know doesn't adversely affect the small schools while protecting the big ones. Right. Yeah. No, I I think that the November and you know with the break and everything playing a full season is probably the best case scenario. Um, whereas maybe at the end of the year you're able to bring fans into the situation, because um, I just I don't think you can have a hundred thousand fans in the same place in November, December, January. Um, so I, it's it's an interesting 
thing to talk about. And it's it's weird because everything is so unprecedented that, yeah, the idea of playing in the spring sounds ridiculous and impossible. But, like, necessity, it will necessitate that change. Like, that's what happens. And so I'm, I'm interested. In, and, like, also something to consider. Like, if you play in the spring and you finish in May or even June, like, Obviously, you've got the NFL draft stuff going on. That would affect a lot of the top players. But also, that's going to affect the next season. You're probably, I mean, I don't know how you're able to start the next season on time if you're ending so late the previous Mm -hmm. season. Like, you might have to start the next season in October to give each team a little bit of (laughs) offseason to recover. And that was was always the thing. People were like, oh, we're not going to be quarantined until... August, September's like, yeah, we're not. But if these guys can't properly get trained, they can't safely start the season. And if they can't right. safely start the season, like it won't happen. And so if they can't, if, you know, fast forward to, if this actually does happen, we finish in March, if they can't properly rest to where they can properly start training again, then it's just like, it is a waterfall effect. that's just going to keep maybe slowly get pushed forward whenever the time comes around. Or maybe They'll say, hey, we don't care about your safety, just like we don't care about you making money, and they'll just do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'd like to think they wouldn't say that, but at the same time, it, that seems also fairly likely. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all unbelievable to, to think about. Just the idea that, like, college football season, I mean, it's going to come August and September, and in all likelihood – like we're not going to have the normal college football season to look forward to. Like we always are, you know, like that's yep. just going to be a wild time. Um, when that comes, um, let's talk about last thing. Let's talk about this Jordan documentary. Cause it's kind of the second biggest sporting event in the world right now. Um, behind the NFL draft. Um, and, you know, we saw the first two episodes last Sunday. The next two will be on on this Sunday evening. Um, and my my first, like my main thoughts on this is, holy shit, they did not like their GM, and Jerry Krause <laughs> got shit on, right, an unbelievable amount. Like it was pretty pretty nuts. It was funny, like seeing the old comments, like at the time, like he was getting shit on, like Michael Jordan. Oh yeah. He, he has made no bones about the fact that the dude's an asshole. And, like, he said in some interviews recently with, like, Good Morning American stuff, he's like, yeah, if you watch the documentary, you're going to think I'm an asshole. It's like, dude, we if you followed we, we, basketball, we've been new. As we, yeah, no, we, <laughs> right. we, knew, yeah. we knew you were an asshole. But it's funny, like, seeing, looking back, like, these videos from the 90s, like, he was making public comments being an asshole about his GM. And like well, all yeah. the decisions he disagreed with him and all that. And it wasn't well, he literally Michael. called him sh- short and fat to his face, yeah. <laughs> like very seriously, not like in a joking way, like short and fat to his face. Like it's yeah, yeah. And it wasn't just Michael. It was, I mean, Scotty. They were talking about Scotty Pippen was like being pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty harsh as well with his language and the way he was talking to Kraus whenever he was going through the, um, yeah. his whole you know contract renewal or you know i don't really just his whole contract situation in 97 um yeah just yelling at him on the bus and stuff and i, I mean i guess i get it from a you know you 
feel slighted, you feel not respected kind of standpoint, but at the other time, at the other way, it's just like, man, um, it's, I don't, I don't know how to really decipher it because I can see both arguments, but at the same time, it's like, man, you, like Alex said, you, these guys really did not like Krause, who, I mean, I'm sure gave them plenty of plenty of reasons not to like him, but at the same time, also assembled a team that got what, won six titles, and you can say, so, I mean, yeah, players won them, but they also he also didn't waste the great player. He surrounded yeah. the great player with the guys so, that helped him. So I think I think Kraus was both a really good GM and a really bad GM. Like yeah. he was obviously very good at assembling teams and getting the correct players on a team yeah. to win. But like he's bad at the human part of it. Yeah. He just he thought in his mind that he deserved just as much credit as Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan. And that's just not how it works. Like you can't as a GM, you cannot be wanting the praise right. that you you maybe even deserve. Like it's a thankless job. Like right. I've always are, thought like front office is the like if I had to work in that industry, I think front office would be the most interesting part to me, but that is the part that the general fan does not give a shit about. So Yeah. And when uh, they do you give you a shit about it, it's that. because you're doing a bad job. Right, you know? exactly. Like, you you become the fall the fall guy. And I can only imagine how bad it was then, like even when you're doing a good job, because like now with social media and the way things are covered, like we know who a lot of the good GMs are. Like we know Masai Ujiri mm-hmm. is like in the public sphere um you know the warriors their gm the thunders gm the spurs gm like the the teams with good gms like they they kind of get a little bit more praise but that's a very recent thing i mean that's within the past like what definitely the past 10 years at most and it's like back then i mean i'm sure you just got absolutely no coverage and or praise for being a gm right well and you know like people have talked about the deal was Scotty. He signed a contract that was too long. Like he signed a contract at the time that he was like the eighth highest played player in the league, but it was a seven year contract and things obviously just exploded cap wise. So he wound up in the hundreds, but like, you know, if you're concerned, like if you're looking at this as Jerry Krause or Jerry Reinsdorf, like, yes, you're able to make some moves that you wouldn't be able to make because Scotty's on such a low contract. But at the same time, if you're looking at the health of the organization and your team, like you probably want to take care of Scottie Pippen, right. who was arguably the second best player in the NBA at the time. Well, like yeah, they had maybe the top two players in the league. You probably should take care of that guy if you are capable of doing that. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, think about the message you're sending to all the free agents out there. Also, it's like. Oh, if I go there, they won't take care of me. That kind of thing. Right. So you're not helping yourself in the future, also, to attract new, better players. Yeah. Also, there's a zero fucking percent chance that Jerry Reinsdorf was telling Scottie Pippen or Michael Jordan, "Yeah, don't sign these team-friendly contracts. Don't do it." There's <laughs> yeah. no chance in the world that he said that to those guys. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I think in a way, like everybody is wrong because, I mean, first of all, like. How on earth is it a situation where you have the greatest player that's ever lived at the time? This is pre-LeBron James, all right? Um, (laughs) At the time, you have the greatest player of all time, and you've won five championships. How is your thought process, yeah, we kind of want to rebuild. Like, how are you not wanting to get every inch of 
production out of those guys that you possibly could. Like that team deserved the chance to come back in 1999 and lose. Like that's yeah. what happens in most dynasties is that they wind up losing sometimes in embarrassing fashion, but that's just how it goes. Tom Brady with the Patriots, they lost to the Titans this year. Like that's usually how it goes, but the Bulls were like, "Nah, we want we want to move on even before this thing has played itself out." Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's it kind of goes to what we're talking about with the Packers earlier. Maybe I mean, obviously to a much greater degree, but it's team, it's organizations that aren't trying to when they have the infrastructure in place to win now. And they're just like forgoing that for some reason, whenever it's completely feasible to try and cap- capitalize on what you have currently in place. You only yeah. push to the future whenever your current isn't any good. Um, right. I don't, I, it's just a strength. I don't understand the mindset. And how do you go into Phil Jackson and say, yeah, you've won me X number of titles, but this is your last year regardless. You could win another yeah, title, you can go it 18- doesn't matter. You yeah. can go eighty-two and zero, and you're not coming back. Right? Yeah, like, like what that's, kind of bullshit yeah. is that? Right? I mean, it's kind of yeah. it's kind of the thing. You know, the rumor right now in the NFL is that you know Belichick, he really wants to prove that he can win without Brady. He thinks he gets you know a lot of talk that Brady's made him, and I'm sure Brady gets has the feeling that you know all the the discourse around him is that Belichick has made him, and like neither of them really gets sole credit. And it's like the the speculation is that yeah, Belichick would like the chance to make something for himself and like prove that, you know, he, it wasn't just Tom Brady. The reason he has all these titles. Well, you don't, he didn't get rid of Tom Brady. He didn't tear the team down so that he could prove that. Like that's exactly what Krauss wanted to do. He wanted to tear the team down himself and then prove like, you just got to let that run its course. And then if you are actually any good, like you will roll with the punches as they come and then build something up. But like just the, the mindset to tear it down yourself and God, that's, I can't imagine. That's that's also a situation that just could never happen now because players just have too much power. Not, I mean, not necessarily like, I don't mean that in like too much, they have too much power now, but like they have significantly more than they did then. And so you would never be able to do that now. Like you're not, pushing LeBron James out of the door at any point at this point in the, in the league, like the Lakers stuck with Kobe Bryant for extra years after he tore his Achilles. Like that's just, that's how teams operate now. And I think that that's probably fair. Cause like Jerry Krause is considered a, like a hall of fame executive, but like that dude is a, he's nothing. Nobody would even know who he is if he hadn't gotten Michael Jordan. If the Portland trailblazers didn't want a center, who the fuck is Jerry Krause right now? Yep, exactly. Yep, I mean, it's 100% players, you know, players do it. Yeah. What, what a good GM does is once he gets a good player, he has to be able to, you know, surround that player with more good players. I mean, it's not, you know, the GM can't conflate it with, this is me winning the titles. It's like, I helped, I, you know, I helped get these players together in a way that they were able to win a title for our organization. That's, yeah. that's how you have to look at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. Like, you know, people always talk about the Jordan, you know, six and oh in the finals. And, you know, for I mean, it was if you're just looking objectively, like look at the teams that they play. Like it was objectively a pretty weak era in the NBA. Like it just was like comparing star power. 
um, of that era to now, or even, you know, the bird magic era, like it was kind of a transition era. Um, but also Jordan never had the chance to lose, you know, they tore it down before they got to a point where they probably would have lost, you know? So, um, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like it's, I, a lot of this, I didn't really know. Like I didn't know going into 98 that it was over, you know, like, or before all of this started, I did, I had no idea that that was just the, the ending. I just thought that like Jordan, it was like a storybook ending. Like Jordan just decided he was done and then they kind of moved on. I didn't know mm-hmm. that it was like, oh yeah, this is over before the season even yeah. started. Like the Word idea, like just, it. yeah. Like the idea that you're just like, yeah, Mike, we, we like what you've done for us, but we're not going to do the things to get you to come back. Yeah. You know, if you want to leave, fine. That's cool. <laughs> we, we like all these titles. See you later. Like, yeah. So. The, the Bulls, like, literally, like, they haven't, they didn't do anything before they got Jordan. They haven't done anything since Jordan. They had, like, one year with Derrick Rose. Yeah. Like, they're can a you imagine, bad franchise. Can you imagine, like, just to put this into college football context, like, Alabama's athletic director going to Nick Saban and said, you could go 15 and 0 this year, but this is your last year. <laughs> like, yeah. can you imagine that conversation happening? Um, no, it, yeah, just, it would not happen. Like it's, it's crazy. Like the, if the Cavs, this is literally, if the Cavs had gone to LeBron and said, this is it, we're not, we, if you want to leave, that's fine. We, we're ready to move on. Like, that's what this is. Cause that's the kind of franchise the Bulls have would be they're a Cavs-esque organization um, without this amazing player, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's crazy. I, I'm looking forward to the to the Dennis Rodman episode. I'm yeah, that one lo- looking that forward to cool. seeing how this all plays out. Probably get some um, Oklahoma talk I, with that Southeastern. Uh, sure. Good old yeah. Durant, Oklahoma. Yep. Durant. We got anything else to say about draft or Jordan or? God, I wish. I wish there was more to talk about. Uh, we did. We did forget to mention. Um, it's an unfortunate thing to talk about, but the rumor is that OU wide receiver Jaden Hazelwood um, tore his ACL while training at home in Georgia. So maybe someone that could benefit from a delayed season would be him. So yeah. that's a yeah. bummer to think about. It will if the season does happen normally. Um, right. OU will be okay because, I mean, Lincoln Riley is a scheme genius and there's a lot of talent, but it still sucks to ar- lose your arguably most talented receiver uh, yeah. before the season starts. It will be. I am really interested. You know, it's, it sounds like they flew him into Norman to do an MRI. So I, I will wonder, will he get his surgery done in Norman? How will they handle, you know, PT like that kind of stuff whenever all the no one's on campus, you know, how does that mm-hmm. work whenever he's, you know, a thousand miles removed from the school that's supposed to be paying for all this stuff? Um, I, I, I am curious how that will happen, because I'm sure they have a very, you know, tried and true system of rehab for these guys. Do they really want to outsource that to some facility in Atlanta? I, I don't know how that works. So, um it's kind of an unprecedented time, and this is a really bad time to need to go to a hospital. <laughs> so, yeah. just from yeah. that aspect. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I 
I mean, I guess on, on a good note, it does seem like the Theo Howard situation is is coming along well and progressing mm-hmm. well. Um, so we'll probably we'll survive, and you know he probably oh, yeah. wouldn't miss the entire season. So that's that's no, a it'll positive. Be, it'll be fine. Look at what the 2017 did. It was like in the early that offense; those receivers weren't settled. It was you know true freshman yeah. CD and Jeff Bidette and like Demetri right. Flowers. So yeah, the they'll, they'll be the fine. Um, yeah. it's just, it won't, it won't be as pretty and as explosive as it probably could have been. Um, but at the same time, ACL, not all ACL tears are the same. I mean, Clemson had a receiver that tore his ACL last spring and he was back by the beginning of the year last year. So if it, it, it depends on to the degree, um, and what, if there's any, you know, other damage, you know, any other, uh, soft tissue that's affected. So. I, I, and no one really knows because OU's Fort Knox when it comes to this kind of stuff. But um, it is very disappointing yeah. because it seems like this happens every year to somebody that's just crucially important. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an annoying thing that I I do not want to talk about. Like, it, it sucks. <laughs> kind of ruined my day yesterday. To hear yeah, this, it was, yep. was a bummer. So we will leave it there. We will stop thinking about it until... Another report comes out. We'll stop thinking about all of this because we only think about these things whenever we're discussing them via a Skype call and recording it. So thank you for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. Um, If you'd like to follow us on social media, I am at NotThatSamDavis. Alex is at Perd underscore Hapley. You can follow Ryan at RWMaxi. Um, if you'd like to follow Nathan, you'll have to fight the troll to cross the bridge and yep. cover his at. Um, so there's a strict for vetting process. Yeah, yeah you're, you're not getting through that door, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you'd like to leave a five star review and uh, let us know what you think, tell your friends to listen. We'd all appreciate it. And until next time, uh, keep it cool.